Well, my topic today is the humour that we find in the Bible and where we get our senses of humour from. Uh, don't expect it to be funny. Uh, talking about humour is not the same thing as doing humour. Uh, God has a wonderful sense of humour. Just look at those photos. I'll be suggesting we get our senses of humour from God, since often of the absurd. But I'm very conscious that what is funny to some is not funny to others. Humour can be used to hurt. Some of God's humour is bitingly sarcastic, uh, and it may offend some sensibilities. Uh, it's not my intention to hurt or offend anyone today, but if I fail in that, I am sorry. The Gospel actually takes away some subjects that many have found funny over the years. Uh, the Gospel teaches us the value of each human being as Jesus loves and died for each one of us. Uh, some humour makes fun of otherness. Otherness lies behind racist, sexist, homophobic jokes and jokes about disability. And because we are to love, not hurt, we should avoid these types of jokes, up to a point. The funniest gay jokes I've ever heard have been told by my gay friends. But as I'm not gay, I'm not going to repeat them, lest I be seen as homophobic. Now, another restriction is in the book of Ephesians, where we are told there should be no obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking. But where to draw the line? Excuse me. Well, that's part of the question today. Will there be whoopee cushions in heaven? Uh, one of my best Christian friends uh, with a master's degree in theology is certain there will be. Uh, what is your reaction to this? No, no, don't, don't do it. Just put it on the table. Put the thing over. So, what is your reaction to this? Uh, it may offend some, uh, although it's just a picture of a rhythmic gymnast and some innocuous words. Uh, I do not think it is hurtful, uh, as some of God's humour is hurtful. When I first saw it, I, I couldn't stop laughing. But I have to say, I have struggled more over whether to share this photo with you than anything else that I've shared with you over the last five years. Uh, I suspect that some will find it puerile, but I think it may pass the acceptable to God test. You be the judge. Uh, I'll be mentioning a number of areas of God's humour in this sermon, uh, and uh, so you just judge this by reference to that. Uh, the great reformer of the 16th century, Martin Luther, coiner of wonderful phrases like by grace alone and through faith alone, liked to have a few beers with his mates. And apparently he was quite fond of a good fart joke. Whereas a number of church traditions before and after him would say there's no such thing as a good fart joke. It's, it's okay 
the only further references in this sermon to toilet humour will be from God himself, because the Bible has a curious amount of toilet humour. And of course, as the creator of all, God invented flatulence, although I'm not going to call him the father of flatulence. As a Bible teacher, I'm constantly looking at two questions. Who is God and who are we? And though it was, and I thought it was about time, uh, that we looked at the humour in the Bible. Laughter gets mentioned at least 38 times in the Bible, and there are many jokes, puns, and uses of other recognisable forms of humour. There is slapstick, exaggeration, and sarcasm, uh, to mention a few. The name Isaac means laughter. So one of the three great patriarchs of the Old Testament was a bit of a joke. Uh, and I can support that uh, exegetically uh, if you look at the number of the amount of his life that was actually blanked out. He, he wasn't a particularly significant person, so he was a bit of a joke. Humour is found in all cultures, although it varies between them. Research suggests that, as a generalisation, Westerners value humour more than Easterners and use it more as a way to build connections and cope than Easterners. But each culture is different. Apparently Chinese people influenced by Confucianism have different views on humour than Chinese people influenced by Taoism. Research suggests we all have senses of humour, although some are more developed or open than others. And we know that some people are funnier than others. And I'm looking at you, James. It makes sense that we have a sense of humour because we're made in the image of God. Uh, this means, among other things, we are made to be like God in love, wisdom, faithfulness, and, and why not humour? Because, as I said, we see a fair bit of humour from God in the Bible. Just think for a moment about the story of Jonah. Jonah wanted to escape from God and jumped overboard to, uh, from a ship. God saved him by having him swallowed by a big fish and vomited up three days later. And Jonah ends up doing what God wanted him to do anyway. Just picture it in your mind. If that's not meant to be funny, I really don't know what is. And Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah as a way of preparing his followers for the most sacred thing in our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The memorable story of Jonah prepares us for God's salvation through his son, who was three days in the grave. Besides being like God, we're also, we also know that God loves us, and I think that part of that love is him giving us humour so that we can enjoy him and each other and cope with the challenges of this world. Laughter makes the world go round. Thank you, God. I'd love to go into some of the psychological materials I've looked at for this sermon, but there's not time. The cultural differences in humour and the way it's used and perceived are absolutely fascinating. In the West, humour is generally regarded as a desirable trait. Humorous people are thought to be more attractive and more motivating, creative and capable. Humour is associated with psychological health in areas like self-awareness, being well-adjusted with affability, being able to laugh at oneself 
and uh, our own mistakes as a sign of maturity. But in some Eastern cultures, it is seen as a sign of superficiality and personal weakness. But not in all. I've spent a fair bit of time in Singapore and Malaysia, and humour is fundamental to many social interactions there. Thinking theologically, I want to suggest that not only does God have a sense of humour, but humour is built into God's creation. Just look at these photos. Yeah, it's, a, it's a lion climbing up a tree and getting stuck. And how about that? God must have had fun with that. God longs to have a relationship with us. And humour is one of his many ways of doing it. It helps us to see the fun he has in his creation. Uh, he also wants us to enjoy each other and build strong friendships and families. And humour is one of the ways that he achieves that purpose. Humour builds the friendships and marriages God builds into his creation. Uh, if you look at dating apps, uh, which I don't, uh, a good sense of humour is considered a very desirable attribute. Uh, we can't all be rich and gorgeous, but we can be funny. Uh, we might like a bit of depth in a person as well, but because they make me laugh is a common response to why we choose someone as a friend or as a partner. So what is humour? It's defined as the tendency of experience is to provoke laughter and provide amusement. It's hard to pin down what is funny because it is very much in the eye of the beholder. Some comedy shows and jokes fall flat. Styles of humour change over time. What was acceptable as funny 40 years ago is now considered bad taste. But a common feature of humour is incongruity or a situation being resolved in an unexpected way. That's the essence of a good punchline. Uh, there's a wonderful scene in Monty Python's Life of Brian, where Brian is trying to prove his credentials as a revolutionary against the Roman Empire. Uh, he goes out one night to paint some anti-Roman graffiti slogans on a public building. A Roman centurion, played by John Cleese, catches him, and rather than killing him or arresting him, as we might expect, he corrects Brian's Latin grammar. Uh, that is not what we expect. Brian meant to write, Romans go home, but the centurion corrects him so that Romanis and Domus becomes Romani, ite domum, uh, and uh, when he's finished that, he tells Brian to write it out a hundred times. <laughs> so by the next morning, the building is covered with Roman graffiti, and Brian has become a hero. Absurd, and not what we expected. And so many memorable lines in that film rely on incongruity. Spare a shekel for an ex-leper. He's not the Messiah, he's just a naughty boy. And the dark humour of a man singing on the cross, always look at the bright side of life. Incongruity is just is right the way through it. Humour is often a clash between the order of creation and the creative chaos God has built into it. Uh, my grandson, Archie, 
has picked up a nappy, perfect for the order of personal hygiene, and put it on his head, a wonderful example of humour-inspired chaos. Archie has delighted himself, he has borne the image of God, and he has delighted the God who created him and those who have seen this. So where does humour fit in the Bible? In Ecclesiastes 3, a book of God's wisdom, we read, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. So where do we find God's humour in the Bible? And we could start in Genesis 18, when Sarah, who is well over 80, laughs at the idea that she will bear a baby, who will be the father of Israel. We read, after I am worn out and my husband is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, not all of us may think that that's funny, but Sarah does. Uh, I'll think of Balaam's donkey. There you go. Um, there we see a donkey not only showing more wisdom than his master, but also speaking. Yes, the Bible has a speaking donkey, an idea picked up later in the movie Shrek. But in the biblical book of Numbers, it's used to ram home the point that the donkey's master is a fool, has sinned. I can imagine God sitting in heaven and having a good laugh at the donkey's master and all the serious-minded readers who've come later who have tried to reconcile that with what we know about donkeys. God is having a joke at the expense of the sinful master and humorless theologians. What is the symbolism of this talking donkey? It must be deep. No, it's just one of God's jokes. Or, or think of the, line, uh, the time in 1 Samuel 14 where King Saul was searching for David to, to kill him and offers a threat to his throne. We're told that Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But David was hiding in there and cut off a corner of Saul's cloak to show that he had mastery over Saul. The reference to Saul's need to relieve himself is irrelevant to the story. But it is used by God to make Saul look vulnerable to God's preferred king. And Saul is made to look quite ridiculous. We see toilet humour again in the, the book of Judges, uh, which is one of the bleakest books in the Bible. There we come across an obese and corrupt king called Eglon. The Bible tells us that one day King Eglon was sitting on the toilet, but someone called Ehud went to him and we read, Ehud said, I have a message from God to you. That's, that's where we usually get messages from God. And then stabbed him in the stomach so that even the handle sunk in. And the king's fat covered the whole sword, so Edward left the sword in Eglon. He went out of the room and closed and locked the doors behind him. The servants returned just after Edward left. They found the doors to the room locked, so they thought the king was relieving himself. The timing and images are classic humour, used to pour God's contempt on corrupt, uh, corrupt king Eglon, and in a sense on all human corruption. It's similar when the prophet Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. Elijah sets the prophets the task of getting their God to pour down fire 
to burn up a sacrificed bull. They try and try and try to get their God to answer. And then Elijah taunts them. Shout louder! Surely he is God. Well, perhaps he's deep in thought. Or busy. Or travelling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. The idea of a, a God sleeping is absurd. But some translations suggest the reference to the god Baal being busy actually means busy on the toilet, which is even more absurd. Martin Luther would have loved it. I think there's humour in God including the Song of Songs in the Bible. I can just imagine him sitting there in heaven wondering what a bunch of unmarried clerics who have taken a vow of celibacy will do with God's book of erotic poetry. And there is fun behind books like Esther and the Song of Songs where God doesn't even get a mention. God lies behind it, but it's as if he's playing a trick in not revealing himself. Sort of a hide-and-seek type game in scripture. And God is not, behind, uh, not beyond slapstick humour, as we saw in our first reading. Think of when the Philistines captured the Ark of God and put it in a temple with a statue of their God, and the statue kept falling over. There's nothing the Philistines or their God can do to stop it. Just visualise it. It's classic slapstick. I've got a photo of that. Yep, there we go. Um, we don't mock other people's religions, but God does. Or think of Nicodemus in John's Gospel, our second reading. He misunderstands God's teaching about being born again and thinks Jesus means that he's going to have to go back up his into his mother's womb. And we bring to mind the image of a grown man disappearing back up his mother's birth canal. Being born again is a profound truth of God's grace, but God doesn't mind having a bit of fun with this absurd image. Grace and humour can coincide. Uh, I don't have the linguistic skills to go into all the puns in the Bible. There's a lot in Hebrew, and uh, you really need someone like Alex to, uh, to open that up for you. But there are many, many puns all the way through the Old Testament. There's also much satire, particularly in the ways that Jesus ridicules the Pharisees and the religious elite. Satire often involves exaggeration, and Jesus was very good at that. You blind guys, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You are like whitewashed tombs without, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people, tickled bones and uncleanness. This is Jesus pouring scorn sarcastically on his opponents. Jesus often uses irony and sarcasm. When asked by the Pharisees if they should pay tax to Caesar, Caesar asks if they've got a coin. Jesus knew they would, and it would bear the image of Caesar, who was considered to be a god. So there is irony in these good Jews carrying something that bore the image of a foreign god. But then Jesus says, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Jesus is, in effect, comparing a modest bit of metal, which embodies the vanity of Caesar, with the whole of creation. And if sarcasm is the lowest form of wit, 
it is not below the Lord Jesus. As I said, humour can be used to hurt people. Racist jokes, blonde jokes, jokes about otherness can be used to both define the inner circle and exclude and humiliate others. But, and therefore we should, with, as with all things, um, be careful. We want to build up and not hurt. Uh, and making people feel better through the good humour, good use of humour, is a good way to build people up. It makes them feel better. But we can go too far. I'm an ex-pom and an ex-lawyer, and I don't mind a good pommy joke, and I've never taken offence at a lawyer joke. Some of them are even funny. Um, I also don't mind jokes that poke fun at me as a Christian. I'd rather live with the occasional joke that doesn't work than have no humour at all. I wish we could all be like the great English comedian Rowan Atkinson, who says, feel free to insult me. Because to be comfortable in your own skin is one of the great achievements of life, and, and humour helps us do that. But great care is required. I can't think that there would be a good joke about the Holocaust or the plight of Indigenous people in Australia. Uh, it's, I've heard blackfellas take, tell jokes about blackfellas, but I don't think that there's something that I would ever do, because it doesn't really be funny. As I draw this to a close, I think we need to see God's use of humour, to see God in his fullness. He's not a cranky tyrant, but a loving, indulgent father who likes to share so much with us, his creation, his salvation, and a good joke. But the best way to live life is thankfully. We can be thankful to God for humour. The humour he displays in his revelation of himself, and the humour he builds into his creation that can bring us delight each day. And the humour that brings us friendship, joy and happiness, all good gifts of God. So thanks be to God. There is a time to laugh and a time to dance. Let's stand and dance.